All right, let's get going. So uh, this evening we're going to focus in the halachas of the Pesach Seder. Last week we got most of the halachas of, of uh, Pesach preparation. Uh, the one uh, area of halacha that we did not touch on, and let's quickly mention it, it's short before we get to the Seder, is the minug on Erev Pesach of Tainus Becherim, the fast of the firstborn. That's going to be coming up a week from this Tuesday. That uh, all male firstborns to either parent, whether it's to the firstborn to the mother or a firstborn to the father. So even if the mother, you're your mother's second child, but the oldest child of your dad, the um, halacha is, the, the minig is for many, many centuries that the, uh, there, there's a fast of Bechayrim. Um, however, the custom is that the Bechayrim hear a siyam, they attend a siyam or a sudas mitzvah. Um, and once that's done, the the uh, siyam takes the place of the fast, and it's okay. So it's worthwhile at every minion that a shul has for there to uh, for there to be a siyam. There are those who have a, a minig as well that <clears throat> even if you're the father of a firstborn son who's not capable of fasting by themselves, to also fast for your child until they reach the age uh, appropriate age of of fasting. Okay. Here we go. That, uh, let's get into the halachas of the Pesach Seder. So we prepare for the Pesach Seder by setting the yomtiv table before uh, the men come home from shul so that we can begin immediately. We don't want to tarry. We don't want to waste time. The longer we wait, it's going to be a long enough meal as it is, right? A long enough suda uh, as it is. There's, a, there's an old story joke told over about the guy who was invited to a Jewish family and he ended up showing up for the Pesach Seder and an hour and a half into the meal, all he had was uh, one cup of wine and he gave up and left. Right after he leaves, that's when they bring everything out, right? That's when all the matzah and more. He happened to be at the Pesach Seder. It's going to be a long meal. And uh, therefore, the table should be set as much as possible so that we can get, <coughs> we can get the Suda started as, uh, as soon as possible. So ideally set it up on Erev Pesach. On the Seder night... The first night, every single Jew is going to have five obligations. It could be five obligations total. The five obligations, two of them are going to be biblical. Three are going to be rabbinic. The two biblical obligations that every Jew has is, number one, Sipur Yitzias Mitzrayim, telling over the story of Mitzrayim, even if I'm having the Seder by myself. And there's nobody around. I have a mitzvah to tell myself the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And mitzvah number two, which is biblical, is eating of matzah. Those two biblical mitzvahs, first night. The three rabbinic mitzvahs the first night is drinking the four cups, eating marar, and reciting the halal. Keep in mind, and we'll see why this makes a difference, on the second night of Pesach, everything's rabbinic. In Israel, is only one night, right? The whole second day Seder as a whole is of uh, is midrabanon is rabbinic, and therefore the mitzvah of matzah and the mitzvah of sipur is rabbinic. And it, th- there could be differences um, when it comes to eating matzah on the second night. Certain leniencies in cases of need that we'd be more lenient on the second night because it is a mitzvah midrabanon. As we approach the Pesach Seder, thank you so much. As we approach the Pesach Seder, so many have a custom that a man who's ever been married, whether currently married or has been married in the past, there are those who even have this custom for uh, those who even have this custom for uh, single men. But in our community, again, unless a person has a uh, different minog, that's fine. But in our community, amongst most Ashkenazim. It's the, the kittel is worn by somebody who's ever been married for two reasons. Number one, it represents angels, which seems to imply you're giving off an aura of joy and purity. The other reason given is, be, is to represent shrouds, the whiteness of shrouds. And the reason why we would do this, this is such a Jewish thing that we do, is that at the Pesach Seder, when there's a specific Indian, a specific concept to bring out the best, bring out, bring out uh, royalty, bring, you, you have gold, you have silver, you have fancy dishes, you have fancy silver, bring it all out, when usually we're more toned down in Yiddishkeit, but at the Pesach Seder we're supposed to express royalty, we want to go all out, and we're supposed to bring out the fanciest things that are there, hence 
the uh, at, at the same time we were a kittel to represent shrouds to remind us to slow down and not get too uh, too into the gashmias too much into the uh, too much into the physicality. Okay, fine. Now, just what's interesting to note is if the purpose is uh, royalty or if the purpose is shrouds, like why is the minhag specific to married men? It should be. To anybody, I guess you could answer however the minog started. Same reason why women aren't wearing kittles. Yeah, however the minog started, it was uh, apparently accepted by uh, by married men. Okay, um, if somebody's in a year of mourning, then there are many poskim that say that a mourner should not wear a kittle. But if a mourner wants to wear a kittle, we the, we don't we're, uh, uh, the person's not rebuked. The only issue that I could think of of a mourner. Not wearing a kittel is that on Yom Tif, there's a concept of not having a velus befarhesia. person shouldn't publicly mourn on a Yom Tif. So it's going to be specifically noticeable to everybody that this person is in mourning, uh, you know, whatever this, then maybe that person should wear a kittel. But if you got, you know, in Bederachal in general, if person's in the year of mourning, they should not. If they feel that their circumstances are uh, unique and it's going to be like a statement uh, that everybody's going to be noticing all this, so then. Um, then uh, they should ask a shayla. Okay, that's all by ways of introduction to the halachas of the actual seder. And now we are standing at the seder. So it's a custom in Klal Yisrael to sing the seder. Interesting. Interesting thing. You'd think, get to the seder, start making Giddish. The custom in Klal Yisrael is to begin the seder. The word seder, by the way, and this is very important, means order. There's an order to thing. There's a specific minute to sing out, right? A lot of people sing the tune, Other people have other tunes and other ways that, uh, that they go about it. But the minute is to, uh, to, sing it, uh, to sing it out loud. And one of the reasons brought down for this is that, again, we're getting into Kabbalah and stuff, things that are above my head. But if you, they say if you start at the beginning of the Seder and you go to the end of the Seder from Kadesh, all the way through Nirza, which is referring to the Geula, the redemption, you're going to go through all the eras in the history of the world. All the eras in the history. You go step by step, and however that, however that uh, ultimately pans out. But also by singing about Seder, what we're mentioning is, there's an order to the world. There's a method to how Hashem runs the world. The world is not random. It's not random. And as we've gone through the various periods in history of Klal Yisrael, it's the, the various periods are meant to be. And each period, each era is built off of a previous era. And there, there's a tremendous Seder as we're going to be standing here at the, at the Pesach Seder. And that's why we sing before we even start. We're keeping in mind there's a method to things. There's an order to think. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has his, uh, his master plan and everything works in a specific order. Then, after singing the order of the Seder, we get to Kaddish. We recite the Kiddush. Now keep in mind that when we recite the Kiddush, we're not only fulfilling the mitzvah of Yom Tev Kiddush, this is also going to be the first of the four cups of redemption. First of four cups of redemption. We know we're going to drink four cups throughout the night, representing Dalid Lishonos, four expressions and four stages of redemption that we, that we went to. Vaitsesi took us out. Vitsalti, he saved us. Vigaalti, redeemed us. Vilakachti, and he took us in as a people. These are not just four, four uh, words of redemption, these are four stages. If you notice the words, they go up and up and up to be removed. Vaitsesi, we were taken out. We were saved, redeemed, and then taken. Taken in by Hashem. Each one brought us further and further away from Mitzrayim, away from Tumah, and closer and closer to Kedusha, which is why Reb Shleim Zalman Arbach explains, he asks a question by, because he wanted to get this answer out. He says, you know, there's four expressions of Gula. Why don't we have four matzos for the four redemptions? Have four matzos. Why don't you keep four nice fruits, four Israeli fruits on your table for the four redemptions? Yeah, a pomegranate, a fig, a date, a grape. Yeah, look, Israel, four, why four? The kids will ask, why four? Four words of, of redemption. He says, no, no, no. He says, the reason why we use wine is because when you drink wine, 
the first cup and the second cup are different cups. And the third cup and the fourth, you keep going. When, you, when you're up to your second cup of wine, you're in a different state than you were by the first cup. Your first grape and second grape are the same grapes. It's the same grape. Wine has an impact. It has a hashba, it has an impact, right? By your fourth cup, you're feeling different than you did by your first cup. So he says, this is a, unless it's grape juice, okay. But the four expressions of geula really are telling us we weren't in the same place. We moved from place to place. That's why there's dalid kaisis. That's why there's four, four uh, cups of wine. Now, at the Seder, because it's not only Kiddush, it's also the first of four cups, everybody should have their own Kiddush cup. Usually at Kiddush, you have the person making Kiddush, and everybody else could take a little bit, some, you know, at Kiddush Shabbos morning, right? Some people don't even drink from the Kiddush. You heard the Kiddush. At the Pesach Seder, everyone must have their own Kiddush cup because everybody's obligated in the, in the Dalit Kosos. So you've got to drink the first of the, of the four cups. And, uh, and by the Seder, all men, women, and children should, uh, should have their own cup. Okay, now does there's that an... Mean, does that mean that everyone... Good. What's interesting to note about Kiddush, as we're reciting Kiddush, is that we make a blessing of Shechianu. Women have already made the Shechianu if they lit candles. Okay, women are supposed to light candles before the Seder. If they forget, they could light it. You know, during the Seder too, it's a yamtiv. But the women, we're going to assume, the women have already lit and made their bracha of Shechianu on the yamtiv. So if a woman already made her bracha Shechianu on the yamtiv, then during the Kiddush, when the men are reciting Shechianu, she should not say it. Because she already said it. She could answer Amin. There's a conversation in the postkim whether she shouldn't even answer Amin, because maybe it's considered a hefsik. Maybe it's a break from her Kiddush to her drinking of the wine. But Ramesha Feinstein gives a psaq that it's okay. And she says, absolutely, you don't not answer Amin to the Shechianu that somebody else is making. So the women already recited Shechianu. They should, uh, they should not recite Shechianu again, but they should respond Amin to the, uh, to the other Shechianus. How much do we need to drink? How much do we need to drink? So according to Rav Meisha Heinemann, and according to uh, the Star K, so, at minimum, we're going to discuss the minimums and then we're going to discuss the spirit of things, okay? At minimum, the cup has to hold 3.8 ounces. The cup, again, has to hold 3.8 ounces. So, it's, if a person has a hard time making it through the sdaram and drinking so much, sh- shrink your cup. Get a smaller cup. Get a 4-ounce cup. Because you could have a cup that's 3.8 ounces and you're good. Now, you're going to drink, you have to drink rove, majority of a revius or rove kos, most of your cup. So if you're going to, let's say you have a cup that's 3.8 ounces, or for, let's say you have a hard time, you find a four ounce cup. Let's use a four ounce cup just for simplicity. What you need to drink is 2.1 ounces from that four ounce cup. You don't have to drink the entire cup every time. That's, a, that's what gets a lot of people who are drinking wine to be like, already knocked out by the time they get near the end of the Pesach Seder because they, they start out with a 14-ounce fancy schmancy wine glass and they drink the entire thing as they're moving on. By the time you get to the second cup, it's another 14 ounces, another 14 ounces, another 14... <laughs> you, you knocked off a bottle and you can understand why you're tired at a, at a late Seder. But if you have a 4-ounce glass, 4-ounce cup, and you drink Rove, right, it really needs to be 3.8, so you drink it 2 ounces, 2.1 ounces uh, per cup. Now, Rav Meisha Feinstein does give a little bit of a bigger measurement. Rav Meisha Feinstein says that really the cup has to hold 4.4 ounces for a Doraisa. Okay? 4.4 ounces for a, uh, for a Doraisa, 2.9 ounces in general. So if you want to be Machmir, now again, the Dalit Kosos, right? So the four cups themselves are rabbinic, but the first cup, which is Kiddush, the person making the Kiddush at least has to drink it. So if you want to follow the larger measurements of, of Rav Meisha Feinstein, you're dealing with a little bit of a, of a bigger measurement for Daraisa, for the first cup, maybe on the first night, for, the, for whoever's making Kiddush. But the other ones, he says, uh, is, is a smaller measurement. Maybe it's an ounce and a half. The reason why I'm giving these measurements is to tell us that it's really a minimal amount. That uh, it's, it's a minimal amount that needs to be drunk. Now, with that being said, with that being said, there's a minimal amount to be drunk. However, there is 
a uh, letter written by Rabbi Kiva Eger. Fascinating letter. Rabbi Kiva Eger. Rabbi Kiva Eger. Late 1700s. He writes like this. This is what Rabbi Kiva Eger writes. I'll quote him. Beleo Pesach. On the night of Pesach. Yisnahig b'kedusha, a person should deal with holiness. On the night of Pesach, we are all in with our simcha, our gladness, and the tremendous mitzvahs that we're able to accomplish. It's an incredible thing. All these mitzvahs, mitzvahs asei shalachilas matzah, the biblical mitzvah, ah, I'm able to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the eating of matzah, and the eating of mar, and the four cups, and the reciting of halal, and the story of Mitzrayim, Uledaiti and Sezer This is what I wanted to mention. Anybody's got a brain in their head. It's as if a person's got a brain in their head. And you believe in the Torah. He says, and a person shouldn't pass up and be skimpy on this mitzvah. It's not a mitzvah that comes around often, the mitzvah of Achilas Matzah, and the mitzvah of the Dalit Kosos, and the mitzvah of, uh, of Morar. And who knows, if you'll ever have this mitzvah again, who knows what next year is going to bring. What happens is you have some mitzvahs that we do it a couple times and then we're not careful with it. Rahman unfortunately. He says, even by the maror, it hurts a little bit more. Yeah, it's a little sharp, the maror. We're thinking when we eat the maror, that we're the same way the Yidin worked hard in Mitzrayim, we're going to work ourselves. And instead of working for the Mitzrayim, we're working for the Rabbanu Shalom. And now we have this mitzvah of maror. So it stings a little bit. He says, all right. All right, so it stings a little bit. He says, I don't understand why people are skimpy and they want to have the smallest possible amount. Don't take a risk that you didn't have enough. That's his, that's his point. Kivager says it's such, it's, such an, it's such a beautiful mitzvah that we could do once a year. You don't need to stuff your face and overdo it. But the measurements we're giving here of 2.1 ounces for wine, he says... Don't only drink 2.1. Make it 2.5. You know what I mean? Make it 2.3. Make sure you got your mitzvah. That's all. I, that's, that's what I want to mention over here. He says, unless there's a health issue. If there's a health issue. There's a medical issue. There's various things. Okay. So then you're not being skimpy on the mitzvah. You're doing what you have. You're fulfilling your mitzvah and you got to take care of your health. But in general, he says, you, the, the, and, and this explains a lot, by the way, because you'll eat by somebody's Pesach Seder. And they'll start handing out, we'll get to this by matzah and mar, the measurements. And you're like, there's no way this is a kazayas. I'm sorry. This has got to be like four kazayasim. They're giving you like eight matzahs, like stacked up. And like, what are you doing? <coughs> Where'd you get these measurements from? So it's true, you don't need to overdo it. At the same time, better to err on the side of getting the mitzvah than to err on the side of not having enough. That's the idea that Rabbi Kiva Eger uh, wants to bring out, not to be, not to be too skimpy. Okay, continuing on, Rabbi Shmuel Kamenetsky in the Kaivetz Halachas, he writes that nowadays uh, drinking the grape juice for the Dalit Kaisas is just as lechatchila as drinking wine. He says, but the grape juice should be red, the, the purple grape juice, you know, a, a red grape juice. Uh, it should have the, it should have the uh, proper coloring. But nowadays, with the chashivas that's given to uh, the importance that's given to grape juice, so grape juice should be just as lechatchila as wine. Now, what's considered wine? It doesn't, it doesn't fulfill what the Rebbe said before. That, that when you drink one glass of grape juice... Okay, like, right. That's what Chaim pointed out. Rabbi Maisha is mentioning over here is that when you drink your grape juice, then you're, you're not taking you to the next level like wine does. Like Rosh Hashanah Arbach that we mentioned before, says wine yeah. goes from various stages. But, what if you like wine? Here, so then add a little bit of red. Just, just add a drop. So you give, you give a little bit of the coloring of, uh, of the blood. Okay, so alcohol is the chathila. Not if you're not dying it on purpose. But there are those who are mocked on it. There are those who are mocked on it. Yeah. There are those who are mocked on it. Doing it, doing it the right way. We'll take questions because the Ilama here on Zoom doesn't, uh, they're not following along to this conversation. All right. Now, what's considered wine? Sometimes you buy a wine and it's called cream cow. Cream cow is light wine. At what point do you say this isn't wine, this is water with wine poured in it? 
Okay? So in order to, to be considered wine, you need a minimum of 4% alcohol. Lahalach. Lahalach, you need a minimum of 4% alcohol for, uh, for the wine. And uh, for health purposes, the wine could be diluted uh, as long as it remains uh, 4%. So a lot of wines are 10% alcohol, 12% alcohol. So if you just keep the math in check, you'll be fine. You keep the math in check. You make sure that after all your uh, di- diluting, you're still going to have 4% alcohol. Beseder. Okay, so let's say you have a third cup wine to two-third cups of uh, water or grape juice. So you'll still be okay. You'll still be okay. So for example, you want to get the 4%. So you'll take wine, 10% alcohol content, make a mixture of 40% wine, 60% water or grape juice. You'll still have 40% alcohol content. You're going to take that mixture, put it into a cup that holds about 3.8 to 4 ounces of wine. You'll drink uh, rive. You'll drink a majority of that. And now you're drinking a little over two ounces per kais, lahalacha. Again, if you have a larger cup, right, so you, you want to do it, uh, you know, you want to get rife, a majority in there, but if you have a small cup, you're really going to be drinking a little more than 2% of diluted wine, wine that's only at uh, 4% uh, alcohol. Now, for, uh, ideally, we want to drink this amount, this minimum amount of ounces at once. If, uh, if uh, it's not possible, then a person has kadeachilas pras. You have an extended period of time, the dispute ranges between two minutes and nine minutes, but really you have up until nine minutes to drink uh, to drink that amount of wine or grape juice. The Kedem grape juice, the the strong purple grape juice that they had in Costco that sold out. Uh, I don't know if they got more in. I hope they did, but um, that uh, that one's been researched because it has a very high sugar content. It's like a strong grape juice. And uh, apparently you're allowed to dilute the Kedem, not the light Kedem grape juice, but the regular strong Kedem grape juice, you could dilute 50-50 with water and it'll still have the status of grape juice if you need to lower the, uh, if you need to lower the sugar level. Okay, so that has to do with the measurements of wine and grape juice. Now, as far as the actual pouring into the cup, so the custom is that as a sign of cherus, as a sign of freedom, people should not pour their own cup. So I pour for you, you pour for the next person, or you pour back for me. People, sometimes, at, some people, there are some people appointed by each cup or for all the cups to be the saramashkim, yeah, the officer of the drinks, and they go around. That's what we had at, at our table when I was, uh, when I was younger. Um, my father, Zechariah Nebracha, and uh, one or two of my siblings, before the Seder started, yeah, everything was prepared, but before the Seder started, they had these wine uh, decanters and or or bottles, and my father made a, uh, there was wine, it was all stuck in the freezer, because my family likes slushy grape juice and slushy wines, so it was all stuck in the freezer before the Seder, and um, there was some that was left plain wine, plain grape juice, and wine grape juice mixed. For those that wanted wine, but you know couldn't handle it, and will knock them out, so we had all these mixtures, and then they had three options as the the pourers walked around uh, walked around the table. The first cup, see, here's how it worked. The first cup was a stickle cold, stickle cold, a little cold from the freezer. the the uh, The second cup was much better. Second cup was much better. The third one already was slushy. The third one and the fourth one, because then you're already an hour and a half into the seder. You know, so you, that's that's like the it's like a certain Pesach feel, a certain seder feel that you remember from uh, remember from growing up. Wouldn't you get brain freeze from doing it? Huh? Yeah, that's part of the fun. <laughs> part of the fun is brain freeze. That's it. Okay, but the idea is that there should be a saramashkim or or people at least shouldn't pour. Some people, you know, you'll take turns, you pour for each other. It's a sign of uh, freedom. Now, everybody has their own cup. Everybody has their own cup. Who makes kiddush? That was our question before, right? Who makes the kiddush on the cups? So there's two primary minhagim, two primary customs. Either the custom is everybody stands holding their cup and one person makes the bracha on behalf of everyone while everyone answers amen. That's one option. That's one uh, very common minug. The other common minug is that everybody makes the bracha together, out loud, or makes the bracha together uh, uh, out loud. They make it together. Yeah, they make it. Everybody says the bracha out loud uh, together. Do you stand? Um, even if your minug normally is to sit, do you stand? No, whatever your minug is. For kiddush. Yeah, yeah, whatever your minug is. No difference. No difference. What I share every year again. Part of our family minug, and I think it's important to share this because if it happens at your table, relax. In the Tendler house on Yeshiva Lane, the kiddush for 
most of, most of the table lasted about three seconds. Three seconds. We all were supposed to say it together. And my father would start, and as soon as everybody said it together, we as kids were so uh, self-conscious about making Kiddush out loud. We were so not used to it. And my parents always had guests. And everybody has their own accents and their own thing and their own style. And as soon as you say it, we would just crack up and just giggle and our, our cups were spilling all over the place. Half the table ran to the kitchen because they couldn't control their laughter. You know, they would just leave. And then they'd come back when it came time, you know, when my father was finished Kiddush for them. They, they would say, Amen. So that's our, you, you try to start out, but you know, Baruch Hashem, things happen. Apparently it became like a minig. It became like a minig in the family. You know, you start, start laughing your, your way through Kiddush. All right, Baruch Hashem. During Kiddush, uh, when, when we actually drink the wine, we lean on the left side for two reasons. Number one is that the right side will be available to hold the cup with. Okay, we lean to the left. Now leaning, by the way, is not like shifting your shoulders. Leaning is, is leaning. You're supposed to lean. Okay. Number one is so that the right hand, 90% of the world, according to my understanding, is right-handed. Uh, you could hold the cup. And number two is um, because of health reasons, trachea and the esophagus. It's not healthy to lean, uh, to lean on the right because it'll, uh, the, the, um, the food will go down, can go down the wrong pipe. Um, and we don't want the uh, food to enter the windpipe, the trachea, instead of, uh, instead of the esophagus. For health reasons, because of the second reason, even left-handed people lean to the left. It's more uncomfortable, right? But you'll, have, you'll get used to drinking, uh, drinking with your right hand, as I get this. I think they tried doing a study that left-handed people, their trachea and esophagus switch sides. Mm-hmm. But they, uh, no. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, no. I'm kidding. Safety-wise, safety is safety. So... That, uh, that, that uh, overrides everything. Okay. Women. Okay. What about women leaning? So this is, people find this interesting. Rosh Kamenetsky writes that Ashkenazic women have, do not have an obligation to lean because women did not accept this as their normal custom to lean at the Seder. Again, leaning is a centuries-old minog. That's of, uh, to, to a point where if you don't lean, you got to drink another cup by the first couple cups. But women never accepted it, and therefore, even though uh, Rav Maisha Feinstein holds that Ashkenazi women should lean, certainly if they don't, they don't need to repeat. They don't need to, right? They, they didn't do anything wrong. Roshul Kanevsky says that they, they were never makabal it. Roshul Kanevsky actually holds this. Roshul Kamenetsky holds there's actually no need for a, an Ashkenazic woman to lean. Uh, Sephardic women, though, do have the custom to lean, and they should do so. Sephardic women do have it in their minog that they should be leaning at the Dalek Kaisers. Ashkenazic women do not. Okay, now following Kiddush, after drinking the Kiddush and these two ounces, uh, these two plus ounces, we refrain from drinking any more wine or grape juice. Um, you could drink water and things of that sort, but uh, we shouldn't drink anything until after the second cup of wine. You shouldn't drink any more until we until we reach the second cup. Okay, those are all the halachas of Kiddush. Now, Kaddish. Now we get to Orchats. But if white, if white wine's your favorite wine, you like Asti or uh, Moscato, whatever they call it, and that's your favorite, that becomes your Choshova one, and you could, if you don't want to pour anything in, you're good, you're good with that too. Good with that too? There you go. Okay. Orchats. We wash our hands without a bracha. Why do we wash our hands without a bracha? In the times of the Beis HaMikdash, they had the highest standards of purity, and there was a halacha that you always needed to wash your hands before eating something that was dipped into water. If food is touches water and the owner is happy with it, it's now susceptible to becoming impure. Nowadays, we're not careful about this, but in the times of the Beis HaMikdash, they were. When we had a mishkan in the desert... They were careful about these things. And therefore, we have orchats where we wash our hands without a bracha and dip it in so that people will ask, what are you doing? You're dipping out a bracha. And we can get into the whole story of the Mishkan. This week's parsha, last week's parsha, we'll get into the whole story of Etzies Mitzrayim. And we'll talk about the Avaidah, we'll talk about the laws of purity and, uh, and impurity. Okay? Nowadays, bottom line is, we don't wash our hands the way that they used to. We only wash our hands before... Uh, eating bread or eating uh, matzah, um, and therefore, according to uh, you know, and therefore, the bottom line is everybody will agree that we specifically wash by the seder to arouse the curiosity of the setting, of the circumstances, 
And this is something unusual. We're usually not going to wash in such a fashion. And the idea is, again, to use this to lead to the story of Yitzias Mitzrayim. When, once we're talking about washing the hands, it's worthwhile mentioning whenever we have washing the hands at the Seder, whether it's Orchatz or whether it's um, Rochza, whether it's Rochza, washing hands before Maitzi Matzah, the ones leading the Seder, whether it's a, a parent, a grandparent, whatever it is, it's appropriate for the water to be brought to them at the table. Okay? So it would be appropriate. Sometimes, some storm you'll have, the children will bring to all the adults sitting at the table. Sometimes you're running late, so people just say, let's just go wash in the kitchen. Okay, use your seichel, use your common sense surrounding it. But it's a nice thing. It's a nice thing to use the Seder, especially in today's society where there's a total breakdown, a complete breakdown of uh, respect for elders. It's it's like strange in today's society. Like the older you are, the more strange you are, and and out of touch. And it, it's important. And, and that's what our, we are being fed, and that's what our children are being fed. It's important to use these situations as opportunities to 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 teach respect for older people, respect for parents, respect for grandparents, respect for. So it's a good opportunity to use to have younger people bring. The basin with uh, with the cups, so people could wash at the table. It's another sign of royalty. Okay, it says kadesh and orchat. Now we get to karpas. So karpas says we dip the vegetable into vinegar or salt water. What vegetables are allowed to be used for karpas? Lahalacha, any vegetable, any vegetable, as long as it's not fit for mar. It's not fit for marar. If it's fit for marar, you cannot use it as karpas. Otherwise, any vegetable can be used. So you cannot use horseradish, you cannot use lettuce, okay? Um, most common customs I've seen is potatoes, celery, radishes, carrots would be okay too, but I've seen most commonly celery, potatoes, and, and, and radish. <coughs> okay. Now, why do we do... What's that? Uh, I don't know if it's that. Uh, okay. Now, keep in mind, why did we wash our hands? Because when your hands, when the when your hand touches a vegetable that got wet, it it you you now are dealing with impurity. So as we say every year, usually because of hygiene, don't eat with your hands. At the seder, interestingly, for karpas, it's ideal to use your hands, because that that's we washed because they would use their hands to touch. The food that's dipped. If you're using a fork, you never had to wash your hands. So because the whole reason I wash, it's kedai to use the hands. The eye, what about hygiene? Okay, so the answer is use a bigger piece. It may make a little longer piece of potato, a little bigger piece of celery, you know, and what uh, things like that. Okay, if, if if listen, if there's somebody at the table that's making a big deal out of it, say, you know, what I mean, like I've uh, I've been at tables, chashuva tables where. People made a, an issue out of it that it bothered them, and eh, so chosh of people using a fork, you know, after that. But ideally, if you can make a longer celery stick, a bigger piece of potato, again, and you use it, it that, that would be the, uh, the ideal, uh, ideal way to go. Now, they're reversing the letters of Karpas. So Karpas stands for Samach Parach, Samach is 60. So it refers to the 600,000 people who worked. It's referring to the tears and the schwitz and the difficulty. It's dipped into salt water that's symbolic of all the suffering. We make a ha'adama on the karpas, and we should keep in mind that it's, it uh, should apply to the maror uh, later on during the meal as well. Now, why can't the hamotzi apply to the maror? Because maror is not really a meal food. It's not really a meal food. So hamotzi only knocks off the bracha of usual meal, meal, foods that are eaten with bread. So regular meal food. But uh, the mar is not usually eaten with, uh, is not usually eaten with bread. We'll get to all questions. We'll take later. Um, so um, we'll, uh, we'll 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 keep in mind it applies to it applies to the the hadama should apply to the mar. Now, uh, whether or not one reclines during karpas, there's various uh, minhagim. If one doesn't have a family minhag, Rib Shimonider writes that one should lean. If you don't have a set minhag, he says the general minhag in Klaisol is to lean. But if you don't remember leaning by karpas to lean when eating the karpas. Interesting. Yeah, he says one should recline unless they have a family custom. Uh, otherwise, I don't recall. Uh, I don't recall reclining. 
Yachatz, we break the middle of the three matzahs. Now notice, and once you break the middle of the three matzahs, we're going to have two matzahs that are left that are complete that we'll be able to use later for motzi matzah. That's how we have three. Because we're going to need to break one now. Once you're breaking one now, there's going to be two that are still left over. The larger piece is put away for the afikaimen, and that leads to the whole uh, minog that people have to uh, play the, the, uh, the, to, to play the afikaimen game. But I'm sure there's a lot of hey, like, things that go into the Afikaiman game. There's different ways to play the Afikaiman game. Uh, the point is to keep the children up throughout the Seder until we get to the, uh, the, the final mitzvahs. The, I've seen in some homes, some people have the minog to put the Afikaiman at this point over their shoulder before hiding it and walk around the table. And th- this recalls how Sfardim do this. Yeah, this recalls how the Yidden uh, carried the dough on, uh, on their shoulders. And the smaller piece that was taken, that's the one we're going to use and, and uh, pick up when we refer to the small morsel of bread that, uh, that the poor people were accustomed, uh, that were accustomed to eating. So the larger piece is going to be put away for dessert. The smaller one is going to be uh, focused on when we say halach ma'anya. And the other two matzahs also will be with it, but we still have those whole for motzi matzah, which leads us to... Magid. Magid is reciting the Agadah. When reciting the Agadah, this is the first mitzvah, first biblical mitzvah that we're doing at night, reciting the story of Yitzias Mitzrayim. We begin by uncovering the matzahs. We say, Halach Ma'anya, and we remove the Seder plate to the other end of the table. The children are going to ask, Why are you moving the Seder plate? There's, that's where the food is. Uh, we didn't eat yet. Where, where are you going with that? And they say, Oh, you know why we didn't eat yet? It's going to be another hour. All right, <laughs> and uh, it's going to lead to the Manashtana and uh, the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Now, the, it's important that Manashtana is asked at the Seder. Everybody, it's part of Magid. Everybody should really say the Manashtana. You don't need to say it by yourself. So, so, you know, in homes, a lot of children will say the Manashtana or individuals say Manashtana. I share all the time. My father told us that when he was in Lakewood, Rebetzin Cutler said the Manashtana. Rebbe Cutler said the Manashtana when they were having the, the, the Seder with, uh, with Rabbaran. But even after the children recite it, it's, all the adults should recite it together uh, afterwards. We then bring the Seder plate back and we begin the Agada with Avodah Mayinu. <clears throat> Either, again, as you go to Agada, different customs. Everybody says it, one person says it out loud and everybody else follows along. The most important thing is to understand what we're saying. This is the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. This is a biblical mitzvah. A biblical, uh, there should be tremendous simcha, and should know what's happening. Instead of just reciting the words and trying to either speed up or go through it, we should, we should understand the tremendous uh, nisim that took place. That's the avayda of Haggadah. There's 16 times during Magid where we use our finger to displace the wine, right? We say, uh, We also have the uh, makas, and we use our finger to remember that the sorcerers of Egypt, they recognized this was the finger of God all the miracles, uh, uh, all the miracles of the plagues. Now, ideally, we should remain present at the Seder throughout, throughout uh, Magid. If a person is not able to, not able to. Now, I do this with my own children that are, uh, you know, either younger than the Chinuch age or at the Chinuch age. You're starting going through Magid, and they're tired. It's late, so they head over to the good old couch, or they pull out another chair and they start uh, laying down, or whatever you allow at your Seder table, you know, to, whatever, you know, each person's got their, got their thing. So what I try to do with my kids who are at the age of Chinuch, let's say they're 10 years old, 11 years old, and they're at the age of Chinuch, but they've left the table, uh, Baruch Hashem, the normal kids. When you get to Rabbi Gamliel Leimer, and this applies for adults too, adults maybe you're not feeling so well, when you get to Rabbi Gamliel Leimer, this is the... That this is where there's an obligation to be present and recite the uh, story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim until the end of the second cup. If a person can't even do that, then minimally one should say Pesach Matzah Mar and the reasons. You'll see the paragraphs Pesach Matzah Zu Mar Zu, right, with the reasons. So if you can't do from Rabbi Gamliel till the end, which is not that long, but it has some extra paragraphs in there, at minimum one should say Pesach Matzah Marar along with the reasons. That's Magid. A high, just strong recommendation. It's become like a thing now where people show up to the Pesach Seder and there are so many beautiful Haggadahs out there where everybody's going to be sitting there with the Haggadah really in their own world, you know, reading through their Haggadah, whether it is stories in there or footnotes, and they're all going to be piping up and doing their thing. And sometimes you'll have kids from school. The teachers give them beautiful, beautiful Haggadahs with 
tens of different terror. And the kids, you know, you have one kid there, you're talking an hour. You're talking uh, more than one kid there, you're talking hours and hours. So the, just a recommendation is use your common sense and keeping everything interactive, people intrigued, people going on, but it's not a Devar Tyra fest to a point we're going to finish our Seder at 5 a.m. and everybody's, everybody's collapsing. Go through Magid, do it well. That should be interactive. Most of the Devar Tyra could either be left for Shulchan Eirech or for lunch tomorrow. Or for the couch, you know, later. Or for the, the not every Devar Tyra has to be shared at the table. Again, the, the, the kids are showing up all excited. So you want to let them share and you have, see it. Whatever it is, my father, and this is a minug that we have, and it's, if anybody wants to steal this, I highly recommend it. We do this every year at the Seder. Um, it's similar to a salad my father invented for Hanukkah. So my father had a tender salad that invented on Hanukkah. The salad consists of gum, taffies, and coins. And for supper on Hanukkah, dessert is you get a soup ladle and a big scoop from the salad bowl. That's on Hanukkah. You get regular supper, dessert, it's a big scoop for the salad bowl. Yeah, so it's full of candy and money and gansazach. It's a big thing. So it's a tender Hanukkah salad. On Pesach, we'd show up to the, to the Seder table. My father took care of the wine and he took care of the candy. There were bowls of candy in front of my father. Uh, wrapped, you know, uh, good, exciting, uh, exciting candies and chocolates or whatever it was. And any Dvar Torah or a question you asked, you got a chocolate or a candy. Through the, all, the whole Haggadah, all the kids, the whole Magid, and now with the fressing candy. They got the matzah, they couldn't eat the candy. Okay, the kids, yeah, whatever it is. But it was, it, was, it was always exciting. It was exciting. And your question was, if I would ask my father a question, can I have a candy? That was a question. You just have to ask questions. That's the idea. Just ask me questions. All you want to just ask, Fred, just... Just ask. You have no questions? Can I have a candy? That's also a question. That's, that's, that was fine too. And we had candies. Okay. They kept an eye on us so we weren't uh, uh, getting out of hand. But on my, my table as well, you know, you do uh, say, uh, shopping for Pesach, you make sure you buy enough candy for the, for the Pesach Seder for the kids to ask questions. It's a wonderful idea. To, even for adults, they steal the candies too, but don't tell anybody. Okay. Um, that leads us to Rachza. Rachza, we wash our hands and we make a bracha. Now we're washing our hands again because we may have, it's been a while since we last washed our hands and we may have touched something that would obligate a new washing. And then we get to maitzi matzah, eating of the matzah. So the head of the household picks up all three matzahs, makes the bracha of a maitzi. You now made hamotzi on two whole matzahs as well as the broken one. We then release the bottom matzah. So the head of the household or whoever has a seder plate is now holding just one whole matzah and the broken matzah. And makes the bracha of alachilas matzah. So you make hamaitzi on all three. You drop the bottom one, and then you make alachilas matzah. Now the reason for this is we need lecha mishnah first of all because it's a holiday meal. It's a yomtiv meal. At the same time, there's a shaila whether the alachilas matzah should be made on a broken or a whole. So we keep one broken and one whole. Make the bracha. So we've we've covered ourselves. We cover all our bases. How much matzah do you need to eat? So again, keep Rebekah in mind. Don't be skimpy. But, but, according to Rabbi Heinemann, one-third of a Tzalem Papa hand matzah. So Tzalem Papa is a very thin, they're known to be very thin, but they're also a nice size. Sometimes they have these hand matzahs that are very sm- smaller. I'm dealing with the larger standard hand matzahs. The Costco ones for sure are thick, for sure ones. The hand matzahs they carry in schnooks, those larger Holy Land boxes and the Bar Park matzahs, Schatzer matzahs. These are all round standard matzahs. Rabbi Heinemann says a third of a round matzah is a kazayas. Or if you use a half, if you use square shmura, a half of a square shmura or a third of a round. That is the size of a kazayas. Rabbi Heinemann says that is, if a person has health issues, you could cut that in half. So if you have, you know, specific issues, you know, uh, for various reasons, um, it could be a sixth of a hand matzah and the quarter of a machine matzah. If a person is not able to eat matzah, I can't chew. I can't bite. I share all the time. I share this. I generally, when I give a share on this, the, I had a year in Eretz Yisrael where I got the mumps a few days before Pesach. My my saliva glands didn't work, so I couldn't eat matzah. So everything had to go down with water. 
because it's partially they, they start those mumps going around the mirror. Vaccinated, uh, but you name it. I had all right. I was like, strange people get mumps, and then I'm strange. Okay, so I got the mump. It was going around. So um, the only way for me to put down matzah was by crushing it up and pouring it down, uh, pouring it down with water. So if a person is not able to eat the matzah, you could compact shmura matzah meal into one and a half ounces and put it down like that. If a person well, doesn't have teeth, whatever it is, so the, the, that those would be the that would be the measurements. I don't know what people do, but I'm yeah, yeah. And so we have an eitzatayva here from uh, Rabbi El Miller who says you could stick your matzahs in the oven for a, for a, for a minute or two before eating it makes it a little warm a little drier and it makes it uh, it makes it a little a uh, little more geschmack okay take some of the moisture out of it yeah yeah okay we recline when we eat matzah and from the time that we eat the matzah through the next two stages a person should not speak unnecessarily. We now have one extended mitzvah, which is mighty matzah. We're now going to get to marar. Marar is going to be eaten twice, right now, and then right after now, okay, when we eat the sandwich. So we're going to eat marar now. Um, <clears throat> if you're using pure horseradish, you need 1.1 ounces of, of uh, pure horseradish, which is not that much. Um, if your person's using romaine lettuce, so the, the thin green leaves should cover an 8 by 10 area. If it stalks, it's thicker. You could be more lenient than that. But the, if you just have like the leaves, that should cover an eight by ten area. Um, uh, you dip the mar into charaisis. Some people love charaisis. Some people don't like charaisis. If you're a charaisis person, you have to shake off the charaisis so you taste the mar instead of the charaisis. Just saying, eat your charaisis later, right? You have to taste the mar. The minig is because the minig dip your mar in, but you're not supposed to be eating charaisis with mar on it. Suppose it's eating marer dipped into a haraisa so that it keeps the taste, um, it keeps the taste of the marer. Okay, then we get the kairach. We have the matzah marer sandwich, which wins the championship for the number one messiest sandwich ever invented. And uh, interestingly, if you look at the Gemara, uh, kairach is, was a, it means it's a wrap. I don't, you know, the, 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 yeah, it was like a laffa. It was a laffa, mamish wrap. They would, they, they made, uh, Hillel would make a, Wrap, a wheat wrap, with with maror and the carbon pesach. Mamish like a shawarma, yeah, like like meat. It was meat and maror and this wrap was you know, and uh, he wrapped it all together because <clears throat> the pasuk in the Torah says that the carbon pesach should be eaten al matzais umerayrim yechluhu with matzah and maror should be eaten. So Hillel held that matzah and maror should be eaten together, and therefore we have the kairach sandwich to. Um, to uh, fulfill Hillel's uh, uh, Hillel's uh, explanation of how the matzah mar should be eaten, we are a little more lenient because we already got the matzah, we got the mar, and this is like another opinion. We could be more lenient with the uh, korech amounts, specifically for the marar. The korech amounts are 0.7 ounces of horseradish as opposed to 1.1 by regular mar. Uh, 0.7 ounces by uh, horseradish and I forgot about the forgot about the leaves I believe it's a drop less I believe it's a drop less it's a drop less I don't have the exact measurement but it could be a little more lenient again because it's a uh, you know it's it's the other it's it's an additional Hillel opinion of how the matzah mar should be eaten. Okay, so after eating the matzah mar, we get the shulchan aruch. No, try to keep it the same. But you could be lenient. Could be lenient uh, if there's a tzarech. if there's a need. You could go down to the sixth and the quarter. Yeah, so you can go down to the sixth or the quarter if if need. All right. Shochan uh, by the meal, one should not eat or drink excessively. Number one, we need an afikaymen. Uh, we need an appetite for afikaymen. Number two is we don't want to get too tired from all the food. We still have more cups to drink and halal to be recited. Many have a custom to eat an egg at the seder. Just a minug. Some people have. I know it wasn't our minug at home, but apparently it's a common minug that people have. The reason for this is Tishabov this year, Tuesday night is Wednesday night. Tuesday night's Badika's Chametz, right? Wednesday night is Pesach, so that means Wednesday night's going to be Tishabov. Pesach and Tishabov always fall out the same uh, night of the week, and it reminds us, the egg reminds us of the destruction 
of the Beis HaMikdash that we don't have a Karm Pesach anymore because of the destruction. Again, it's not a mitzvah. You don't have to do this, but it's a custom that, uh, that some people have. There's a general custom also not to eat uh, anything roasted, anything roasted, uh, meat or chicken uh, at, at, uh, at the Seder. Uh, after that, we get the Tzofen. I'm going to just speed up over here. Tzofen is Afikaymen is returned. Afikaymen means, yeah. No, you stay away from roasted meat and chicken. Okay, because it represents the the uh, the the carbon pesach. The afikaymen was a term that was used for dessert. And, and, and don't buy a brisket. Okay, uh, unless you want to cook it in sauce. One should not eat anything. Oh yeah, not to. Okay, one should not eat anything after afikaymen. So you eat afikaymen afterwards. The afikaymen taste should linger in your mouth till we go to sleep. Uh, there's different opinions about drinking, okay? Because we're, we're going to have two cups also uh, after Yenafikoyman. So what about drinking? The, it's, it's certainly, the, the ideal thing to do is just stick to water. If you stick to water, then it's considered like the, the taste of the Afikoyman remains in your mouth. Okay, now we have Barich. Barich is to bench after the meal. Usually we're going to honor a guest to lead the benching very often if there's three men for a Mazuman. But at the Seder, it's proper for the one leading the Seder to be the one to recite the, um, to, to lead the Berches HaMazan. Uh, during Hallel, which is the last rabbinical mitzvah we fulfill, and uh, people are already getting tired by now, make sure to recite Hallel before going to sleep. Um, what, the one thing to mention during Hallel is that if you have a Zimun of men, it's the custom is to recite halal the way we do in shul responsively. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you have three Jewish men together at the Seder, the one leading should recite like, Haydu Lashem Kitoyk Dibchasa, and everybody else should repeat after him. And also by Ana Hashem Aishiana, also should be done, uh, should be done uh, responsively. And then you have Nirza, which is all the beautiful Helig uh, Nagunim, with everybody's got their own uh, customs. Of how they make it through, make it through Nirza. It's a hella good time. It's fascinating how you know we don't research it enough, but Nirza would be a, a worthwhile endeavor to uh, focus in on some of the deeper meanings, uh, some of the deeper meanings of those um, uh, of those uh, zemiras that we sing. Okay, that's uh, that's it overall for the halachas. The Pesach Seder. We'll hold it here for tonight. Next week on Sunday night, we will pick up with various uh, divrei taira and uh, just bring, uh, adding meaning to our Pesach Seder. Yeah, go ahead. Take some questions. Um, make a demo for the karvas. Yeah. So, if we have a long magen, two hour long magen, when the bracha. Great, it's great. I don't have a good answer to that. I don't have a good answer to that. Are we relying on the bracha still? Yeah, yeah. We still don't make a new bracha on the mar. That's right. So, I've seen that. But then, why do you need to have it in mind? So you're kind of like covering your bases. Right. You're covering your bases over here. Also, yeah, um, because the mighty technically could cover it. But that, you know, I'm, I'm look. That's a good parrot. I'm looking for like a shot here, like, like a var. You know, yeah.